The Lord be with you. My bet is, you've heard this story before. The story of Adam and Eve, the story of God making a man, and thinking, well, you know, God could really, or the man could really use some sort of helper, a little companion, and, and so God taking a rib from Adam's side and making a woman out of this. Raise, raise your hand if you've heard that story before. Yeah, all right. So we'll talk a little bit about that story. But before we do, I'm going to ask your help in figuring out if the man in this picture's beard, is it longer than four inches? What do you think? Um, right, if, if you look at it for a second, you realize, no way is his beard longer than four inches, because that's not a beard, that's a dog. Yeah? But if there was a moment when you thought that man had a beard that flowed to the very end of that photo, may I encourage you, as with that photo, to take a closer look at this story that you think you know so well. So, this idea that God made the man a helper. Well, you know, sometimes we have the assumption that, you know, a helper is like an assistant, right? Uh, an inferior, someone to, you know, kind of do the, the minor things. But let's take a look at the word in that verse. So, I will make him a helper as his partner. That word helper is Azer. So on the next slide, you'll see Azer is the Hebrew word for helper. And you want to guess who the word Azar is used to describe the most times in the Hebrew Bible? God, yes. So, Psalm 115, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield, their Azar. Psalm 121, my help, Azar, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. First Samuel, I don't know if you've ever heard of an Ebenezer. Yeah, Ezer, right? It means a stone of help. So then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Jeshanah and named it Ebenezer. For he said, thus far the Lord has helped Azar, us. All right. So already we're starting to see that perhaps the story we thought we knew was a little more complex, right? A helper, yes, for the man, but not a helper who is inferior, a helper like God who can provide help that the man desperately needs in time of trial, who can provide help in a way that the man cannot provide for himself, a man as his partner. All right, and so... Then the story, as we know it goes, the man starts to make, or the God starts to make all these animals. Say, well, maybe this will be that Azar that the man needs, that helper that the man needs. And the man looks at all these animals and says, oh, they're very nice, I'll give them names, but this is not the helper for me. And then the story, as we know it, says that God takes a rib out of the man, and from it forms a woman. But let's take a look in our next slide at that word rib. So the word for rib in Hebrew is selah, yeah, selah. And there are three main definitions you can use to translate the word selah. Rib, sure, side, and also tail. I personally think tail makes the most sense, because, I mean, most animals have tails, but humans don't. Why not? Because we have women. Ah, yeah, it makes sense. Ah, ah. So most scholars don't like that interpretation, 
The person who decides whether I sleep on the couch also does not like that interpretation, so we're not going to go with that one today. Did you know this word "sela" is used 40 times in the Hebrew Bible? Every time outside of this story, it's used to describe the side of a building. Oh, and if we can go back to that slide, uh, so you'll see. It's, this word is it's always used to describe the side of a building. Yeah. So in Exodus, right when they're describing uh, the tabernacle, you shall set a table outside the curtain and the lampstand on the south side, sela, of the tabernacle, opposite the table. And you should put the table on the north side, sela. And in 1 Kings, the entrance for the middle story was on the south side, sela, of the house. So everywhere else in the Bible, this word will be translated as side. Which makes me wonder if perhaps it's mistranslated as rib in this place, that perhaps it's not that God took one small part of Adam and made a woman, but perhaps God took Adam and said, what you need is a partner, a helper, someone who can be your better half, and then took Adam and split him in two, took one side and made a woman, and from that other side was made a man. But maybe you say to yourself, but wasn't he a man to start with, right? We started, you know, God took the dust, breathed into it, made a man. Well, let's take a closer look. So on our next slide, we'll see in verse uh, Genesis 2.22, right, and and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. But there's different words for man in the Bible, yeah? So, uh, Actually, this next verse will be the first time that the word man shows up in the Bible, like male man shows up in the Bible. And and I'll explain why, because you're like, no, no, we've been hearing man this whole time. So in our next slide, so there's a word for man that's ish, yeah, and it's compared explicitly to woman, isha. And the idea is, right, just like in English, man and woman, they are related to each other. Out of the man came the woman. And so we get ish and isha. But there's another word for man. It's Adam. Yeah? And the word Adam is maybe best translated as actually earthling. Because Adama just means earth. Right? You may remember it says God took the dust of the earth and breathed life into it and made an Adam because that Adam was made from the earth in the same way that the woman is made from the man. You can see Isha has that same ending as Adam Ah. Yeah, you can see there one is coming out of the other. And so what we get the sense is when God first breathes life into the dust of the earth, God hasn't made a male. God has made a living being out of the earth. A living being that encompasses all of humanity. And in fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, on our next slide, you'll see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image. That word humankind is Adam in Hebrew. But in Genesis chapter 1, they choose to to translate Adam as humankind. And then again, you see in Genesis, in the next verse, right, Genesis 1, 27, So God created humankind, Adam, 
In his image, in the image of God, he created them. So in Hebrew, it's actually him. So I want to say here, right, even though I'm making this argument that Adam encapsulates the entirety of humanity, all our genders, I want to also be clear. The Hebrew Bible uses male pronouns for Adam because the Hebrew language, like most languages, the default is also always male, right? If you're going to talk about someone and you don't specify that they're a woman, you're going to assume that they're a man. That's how it works in Hebrew. In Spanish, my dad's a Spanish professor. He can vouch for me here. If there's a group of people, like this whole congregation, if you were all women except for one guy, I'd refer to everyone in this group as male. Yeah? Is that how it works? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Same thing in Greek. So let's be clear. There's plenty of preference for male built into the Hebrew language. But when God creates humankind, God is creating an atom that encapsulates encompasses both the male and the female together. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 2 in our next slide, the translation we read today says, then the Lord God formed man, but in Hebrew it's the word Adam, yeah, from the dust of the ground, Adamah. But I'm not the only one who's making an argument that maybe Adam shouldn't be translated as man, but something that encompasses the whole of humanity. If you look at the common English Bible's translation, it says, then the Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land. Yeah? We've been told a story in which God makes a male. God says, ah, this male needs an assistant. Let me take some small part of that male and make a woman. That's not the story, my friends. The story is God makes a human being from the dust of the earth. And this human being is made in the image of God. God is not a man. God is beyond gender as we understand it, encompassing the fullness of life. So too does this creature that God has made from the earth, this earthling. But God says this earthling should not be alone. And so God makes the animals of this earth to be a companion, and yet they are not suitable to be the kind of helper that this earthling needs, the kind of helper that God could be for this earthling. And so God takes that earthling and splits him in half. And in the division of that earthling, for the first time in the Bible, we see those two words, ish and isha, only divided does the Adam become male and female? That is the story that we are given about our beginnings, about the relationship between genders and God's intention for us. But it is so easy to think that we know the story and not bother listening to what God is actually saying. That's also what we find happening in our Gospel reading today. Because Jesus dies... And we think we know how the story goes, right? Someone dies, you put him in the ground, they stay that way. But Jesus comes back to life, and and he tells Mary, hey, I'm risen, go share the good news. Mary goes, shares the news with the male's disciples. The male says, ah, we know this story. The story in the Bible says women are to be trusted, so let's not listen to what that woman has to say. Jesus goes and he appears to more people and they bring the news again and the disciples still refuse to hear it. They know the story. Oh, no, no, we picked our side of this argument. We've got to stick with it. Jesus is dead. That's all there is to it. 
because they think they know how the story goes. How many times, friends, have you thought you have known how the story goes, the story of your own life, and because you thought you knew how the story went, you gave up? You didn't try. You refused to fight for a better life because you said, I know the story and this is how it ends. You know who doesn't know the story? Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem to know our version of the story because when we say, well, you put someone in the ground, that's where they go to die and they stay that way, Jesus says, not in my story, I'm coming back to life. We say, the story goes in the Bible, women, inferior, not to be trusted. Jesus says, well, in my story, they're the first people I tell I'm alive. We say, well, in our story, don't believe in God, it's too bad, you're done. Jesus says, well, in my story, it doesn't matter how many times you refuse to listen, I will keep coming back until you hear the good news. Because, my friends, this story, it's not our story to tell. It's God's. God is the author of this story. And as the author of this story, God has said, the earth It's not where life goes to end. It's where life comes from in the beginning. God is the author of this story, and God says genders exist not on this earth to be in competition with each other, but to complement each other, to be each other's helpers on this earth. In our version of the story, we say, Once you've given up on God, God gives up on you. But God says, no, I am the author of this story. And I will never give up on you because I have made you for a purpose. And that purpose isn't finished yet. God didn't just put us on this earth to wonder about God and maybe decide we believe in him today. No, God put us on this earth to till it and tend it. To be God's gardeners of this planet. And we have work to do, my friends. And so, when you find yourself thinking, ah, I know what my story is, and it's pointless, well then go bury your hands in the earth, dig in the soil, plant a seed, and remind yourself that in that earth God has given you a purpose. And when you think to yourself, ah, I know my story, it's one of loneliness and solitude, take a walk in the park. And remember that every single animal God has made, first and foremost, to be a companion for you on this planet. And when you're at the end of your rope and you have given up, remember God is the author of your story and God doesn't give up on you. And so when you think...